0: the work of angels, and then obviously right along with that, as I mentioned this morning, is to talk about demonization and uh, demons themselves and all of those things. And so I want to cover this first part fairly quickly. There's there's a decent amount here uh, that I want to cover with you, and, and, and there is so much that, that angels do and so many verses in the Bible that talk about angels. Um, I don't think I actually put uh, a search in Esword on angels, but I think if I were to do that, there'd probably be you know, in the hundreds, in the hundreds of verses about angels, or maybe even in the, in the upper, you know, hundreds, approaching a thousand, uh, the number of a- times that angels are mentioned in the Bible, and so they do a lot of different things, but let's, uh, let me just give you um, some passages, and if you don't mind turning there, and then um, once I get to you, I'll get you to read, all right, so we'll start over here, Mr. Forbes, Psalm 91, 11, and 12, uh, Jenna, Matthew 18, 20, Miss Bonnie, 2 Thessalonians 1 7. Uh, Brother Gibbs, Acts 12 15. Brother Bill, Psalm 34 7. Uh, Sarah, Luke 1 26 and 28. Uh, Josh, Luke 2 10. Uh, Miss Karen, Matthew 1 20. Brother John, Matthew 2 13. Uh, Miss Barbara, Matthew 2 19. Um, Neha, Matthew 4, 11. Johan, Luke 22, 43. Nitton, Matthew 28, 5, and 6. Uh, Brother Renato, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Oop, I skipped one. Brian, Acts 1, 9 through 11. Um, Sarah, 1 Kings 19, 5 through 7. Um... Jackson, Acts 12, 23, Um, Becca, Matthew 28, 5 through 7, and Alex, Isaiah 6, 4. We'll get through those, and I'll probably get you, I should, I think we have enough for everybody to read one more, so um, I might do another round here in just a minute, but we're going to try to cover these quickly, so listen quickly, write quickly if you're taking notes, I think it'd be helpful to do that. Um, but let's let's begin here with talking about the work of the good angels. And the work of the good angels, and when I say the good angels, the angels that did not fall from heaven with Satan, the ones that did not follow after him and his rebellion against God, um, but they have an earthly ministry and they have a heavenly ministry. Or I should, I should say some angels that, that work on the earth and some angels that work in heaven. And we'll talk about the differences between those. So the first one is guardian angels. You know, they, they always talk about guardian angels. That is that's a real thing. There really are guardian angels. And somebody said one time, or I saw a bumper sticker on the back of a car one time that said, Don't drive faster than your guardian angel can fly. Um, I don't know if that's a possibility. I don't it's not a possibility, but we do have guardian angels. So let's let's look at some verses that talk about that. Psalm ninety one, eleven and twelve. They shall bear thee up in their hands, against Isn't that amazing? Bear thee up, uh, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. You know? Keep you from getting hurt. That's exactly what he's talking about. Matthew eighteen ten. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. Okay. Their angels. angels. Guardian angels. 2 Thessalonians 1:7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angel. Okay troubled rest that's that is that is the work of the guardian angels acts twelve and verse fifteen man she constantly affirmed that it was even so then they said it is, that it is his angel. okay and almost almost what they're saying is that's his ghost that's not really him but you know and it's just it's just proof that these that that we have these angels that do the work of protecting us and watching over us and and uh, um, helping us. And we have that again in Psalm 34, 7. Think about that. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him. And delivereth them. That's a guardian angel. That is literally an angel that is guarding us to protect us from things that would happen to us. So you have the guardian angels. But then you have some angels that were involved in the life of Christ. And a lot of these verses are probably going to be familiar to you. But you have the Angel Gabriel that announced the birth of Christ, luke one twenty six and twenty eight. Okay, so we're, we're talking about angels that minister on this earth, and we're talking specifically about angels that are involved in the life of Christ. So you have the angel Gabriel announcing the birth of Christ. You have angels that announce the birth of Christ to the shepherds, Luke 2.10. Okay, good. Angels in Matthew 1.20 assured Joseph, and they warned him to flee to Egypt, and they told him when it was time to come home. Matthew 1.20. Okay, and Matthew 2 13. And when they, depart, when they were departed,
1: behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him.
0: All right, and then Matthew two nineteen is the follow up of that. It's Barbara. Okay, and of course, at that point, he told him it's time to come back. Herod's dead; you can come on home. So, uh, this angel here is assuring Joseph that what he's doing is the right thing, and then told him go down to Egypt, get away from the danger, and then all right, danger's gone; you can come back. So, this is angels doing the work involved in the life of Christ um, on this earth. Angels ministered to Christ after the temptation. We talked about that this morning, but Matthew four eleven. Okay, so they're they are ministering to Christ while He's on the earth in human form. Uh, also, angels strengthened Christ in the garden, Luke twenty-two forty-three. Okay, same thing, same same kind of situation. Angels announced the resurrection, Matthew twenty-eight five and six. Good, so angels announced his resurrection. Angels attended his ascension. Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Okay, good. And then the last thing is that angels are going to accompany his return. 1 Thessalonians four sixteen. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the
1: shadow, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And
0: the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay, very good. So, I mean, if you look from start to finish at the life of Christ on this earth, angels attended everything that he did. And they're not done yet because they're going to come back with him. All right, then you also have some of the work of the Old Testament and New uh, the, the angels in the Old Testament and New Testament ministries. And one of the first things is that they protect and deliver God's people. We saw that in Genesis 19, but we also see that in 1 Kings 19 5 through 7. Okay, This is talking about Elijah, and an angel comes and cooks a meal for him. Talk about real angel food cake, right? I mean, that's a real angel food cake. The angel cooked the, cooked the meal for him over a coals and everything else, and, and he ate. And then he came back and did it again the second time. He said, the journey is just too great for you. Here, let me help you. But, but how interesting, you know? They protect and deliver God's people. They also guide and encourage God's servants. Matthew 28, 5 through 7. Okay, so very interesting. Not only are they announcing the resurrection, but they're also encouraging those who came to find Jesus and didn't see him there. So they guide and encourage God's servants, but then they also execute God's judgment, Acts 12, 23. Now, this this is talking about Herod. Amazing. He was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost immediately because he didn't give God the glory. He took the glory and the credit for himself and sitting there on the throne, the most powerful man uh in if not in the world, then at least in that country at that time, eaten up with worms because he didn't give God the glory. Serious thing, but they executed they executed the judgment of the Lord because it was the angel of the Lord that smote him. Now, here's uh we talk about those with an earthly ministry and we talk we just I mean Trust me when I say that this is kind of just touching the iceberg of what the angel or the tip of the iceberg with what the angels do um, and with verses that are just, I mean, overabundant in the Bible that talk about what the angels do. But there's also angels that uh, have a heavenly ministry. And one of those, first of all, and probably if I was to get you to to, uh, I wouldn't say guess, that's not the right word, but to give me some things that the angels do in heaven, is that they worship God. And we see that in Acts chapter or Isaiah chapter 6 in verse number 4. Okay? And Isaiah chapter 6 in verse 4 <clears throat> is the end of the passage in the the verses before that that are talking about the fact that the angels are around the throne singing holy 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 is the Lord God of hosts and all of those things. And I think this is so interesting. I don't know if you could hear what he was reading, but it says, and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that spoke, uh, that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Um, and Pastor Whitaker, he's one of the missionary, uh, I say missionary, a church planter that we support, preached and preaches, I think, a message called, "Posts that move and hearts that won't. Because the voice of him that cried, that's God speaking to us through his word and through everything else, and the posts of the door move, and sometimes we're so stubborn we won't. I'm not going to preach a message on that tonight, but it's a great thought. Posts that move and hearts that won't. But the voice of him that cried, the posts even move. And it's the angels that are up there crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They worship God. All right, let me give you another round of verses here, and that should take us to the end of the ones that we're going to do in quick succession like that. So let's start back over here with Mr. Forbes with Matthew 18, 10. Jenna, Hebrews 1:6, uh, Miss Bonnie, Luke 15, 7. Brother Gibbs, Matthew 24, 31. Uh, Brother Bill, Matthew 13, 41, uh, Sarah, Luke 16, 22. Josh, Psalm 78, 49, Miss Karen, Judge, Judges 9, 23, Brother John, 1 Samuel 16, 14, um, Miss Barbara, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, uh, Neha, Romans eight thirty eight, Johan, Ephesians 6, 12. Uh Nitin, Daniel 12, 12 and 13. Uh, Brother Renato, Matthew 25, 41. Brian, Revelation 12, 7. Sarah, Job 2, 7. Uh, Jackson, Mark 5, 14, and 15. And Becca Luke 8 27. Alex, I will give you a passage so that you're not the only one left, alright? Turn over to Mark 5. I'll get I'll I'll give you a verse to read when we get there. Okay? All right, so let's look and and just continue on with this. Those with the heavenly ministry, we said they worship God and Matthew 18:10 actually talks about that as well.
1: that not one of these little ones, for to you that in angels always behold face
0: my Okay, so not only is that we use that as part of the Uh, idea of the guardian angels and then protecting the little ones, but they always, they're watching the face of their father which is in heaven, and they're worshiping God in that way. Hebrews 1 6. Okay, now that's pretty interesting. I think, you know, uh, I don't know if you could build a whole message around that, but think about that thought. The angels are all over the place doing all kinds of different things, and Jesus Christ is born, and all of heaven stops, and they all kneel to worship Jesus Christ. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Can you think about how that must have been? All of heaven went silent, and they all kneeled down, or whatever they did. But I see that I can picture in my mind, all of them kneeling down and worshiping Jesus Christ in that stable. That's an amazing thought. They worship God, but they also rejoice at the conversion of a sinner. Luke fifteen, seven. I say
1: unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that
0: repenteth, more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Okay, so ninety-nine people that are already saved, well, the angels are happy about that, but they rejoice over one sinner that repenteth. The angels in heaven also gather the elect when Christ returns. Matthew twenty-four, thirty-one. Okay, And we kind of saw that already in 1 Thessalonians, where the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, trump of God. But he's sending all of his angels to collect everybody that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. Also, the job of the angels in heaven is to separate the wheat from the tares. Matthew thirteen forty-one. Okay, so they're separating. They're separating the just from the unjust, the wheat from the tares, and that's that's the reason I say it that way. Is because Matthew 13, uh, we're given the parable of the wheat and the tares, and in that parable, that's what he's talking about. They're going to come down, and they're going to separate them that are that are doing what's right and them that are not, basically. And then the angels with the heavenly ministry also escort believers to heaven. Luke 16:21, 16, 16:22. 16, sorry. Okay, so we're talking about Lazarus, right? The rich man died, was buried, and the beggar died also. He was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and that's an amazing thing as well. Because you know, I mean, why would God do that for the the um, the poor man and not or not the beggar and not do it for everybody else, right? So we have a, we have an indication here that that's what He does for everybody. See, carries the angels carry us to heaven. All right, so that is that is the good angels, that's the work, and again, there's a lot, I, I would say a lot more things that they do, a lot more verses that talk about the work that they have done, but now we get into the evil angels, and first of all, we'll say that they are used by God for his good. They're used by God for his good. Psalm 78, 49. Okay. So, now, we, we know this as a fact that uh, nothing in this world that happens, happens without God's permission. Now, God gets to blame for a lot of things, and everybody blames God for doing that. Now, God never does that. God allows it, and God uses these evil angels for his good, and in this case we see he sent the fierceness of his anger, wrath, indignation, and trouble by sending evil angels among them. Here's another example, Judges 9.23. Okay, so they're doing the work of God toward Abimelech. First Samuel sixteen, fourteen. But the
1: spirit
0: of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Okay. And that's that's been a I wouldn't say a point of contention, but it's been a point of question. An evil spirit from the Lord? We're gonna talk about that in a little bit, so we'll skip over that for right now. Second Corinthians twelve, seven. Okay, and so obviously that's the Apostle Paul, and that's where we get the great verse. My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But what happened was God gave Paul all of these revelations. He was taken up into the third heaven. God showed him things that nobody had seen before. And because of that, God allowed this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan to buffet Paul, to keep him from getting exalted above measure. In other words, to keep him from being proud about what he had seen, to keep him from thinking that he was so great, right? And God gave him this, God allowed this messenger from Satan to buffet him lest he should be exalted above measure. So Job chapter 1, and you don't need to turn over there, and I'm not going to read through this, but uh, you know the story of Job and when satan attacked job to try to get him to curse god he actually accomplished god's will of testing job's faith right god was not allowing this to happen because he was trying to punish job for anything that he did the bible called job a, a perfect man right and that perfect just means complete he was he was mature as a christian he was mature in christ so god was not sending this to punish job for anything but God does send trials in our lives to test us and to help, and and obviously Job came to that conclusion that he was just putting him through the fire so that he would come out more pure on the other side of that fire, and yet Satan hears Satan coming to God and saying, let me at him, let me at him, and God said, all right, fine, put him through the test, and so even though Satan thought he was in charge, God was ultimately in charge of that. Satan and his evil angels, uh, we know this through that, cannot fatally attack a Christian, Um, or or really anyone for that matter, without God's permission. He said, can I do this? And God said, yes, you can do this. He said, but you can only go so far as to take everything from him and destroy his health and do all of those other things. You can't kill him. You cannot take his life. So Satan gets his permission from God to be able to do these things. But when God grants permission, evil angels are limited strictly to what he permits. and, And they cannot go beyond the boundaries that he sets for them to be able to do. So uh, when God grants his permission, he does so for a good purpose, and sometimes we don't see it, sometimes we don't know the answer why, sometimes we'll never know until we get to heaven, but you know that God is always doing what is best for us, and that no matter what happens, even if it's these horrible things like Job had to go through, uh, Job came to the realization that he knew why God allowed it, and it was so that when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Um, So Evil angels are used by God for his good, but also evil angels try to separate believers from Christ. Romans 8:38. For
1: I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities
0: nor powers nor things present nor things to come. Okay, and that verse continues on in verse 39 nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of god but what he's saying is that these these angels are trying to separate us from christ ephesians 6:12 Okay, I think what Paul is implying here in this passage is that evil angels are trying to separate believers from God's love, but Paul made it abundantly clear that no matter how hard they try, evil angels can never accomplish that goal because of what Christ has done for us. They're trying to separate us from the love of God, we're wrestling against them, why, why are they wrestling against us? They're trying to pull us away, right? They're trying to pull us away from God and they can never do that because of what Christ has done for us. But then also evil angels oppose good angels, and we see that in Daniel 10, 12 and 13. Michael. Michael, yep. one of the chief princes came to help me, and I there with the kings of Persia. Okay, and we've looked at this before as well, so we're not going to go into this anymore, but the evil angels are fighting against the good angels and those that are trying to accomplish God's will in heaven. They also cooperate with Satan, Matthew twenty-five forty-one. Okay, so everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels because they are working together. They're in cahoots with each other. Revelation twelve seven also gives us that. And there was war in heaven.
1: Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon
0: fought and his angels. Okay, so you have all these angels that are working together with Satan. Also, uh, these evil angels inflict disease. Job 2, 7. So that Satan forced from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils and the soul was put into his crown. Okay. And so, I mean, I think that we can, I mean, obviously not, not think, I know that we can say that any of the disease, any of the, you know, the illness and, I mean, the coronavirus and all those other things for that matter are all part of what the devil inflicts on this world to try to drive people away from Christ. I mean, look how many people have been driven away from church, believers that have been driven away from church, unsaved that have been driven away from church in the last eight months because of the, the COVID thing, right? By the way... And I'm not going to say anything else about it because I don't want to. I don't want to get off on a tangent. But do you know that uh, we are on pace right now to have like 50,000 less deaths in the United States this year than we had in 2019 and 2018? 50,000 less. And they want. They want to make you think that the whole the whole country is dying from COVID and that everybody's you know going under and that you know President Trump is you know unleashing all of this stuff to keep you know 50,000 less. We're on pace for. of the last two two years. It's an amazing thing to me. But anyway, Satan is the one that unleashes these diseases. He inflicts diseases in this world. Also, the evil angels can cause mental disorder. Mark chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Who has that? Did I? Okay, so they can cause mental disorder. They also lead many into moral impurity. Luke 8, 27. Okay, why do you think the man had no clothes? The devils were um, leading this man and many other people into moral impurity. And boy, how many times do you see that happen in these uh, well, you might not see it happen, but you hear about it happening and everything else at these parties and everything else. You know, just just absolute impurity. So when it comes to the unsaved, and we could, we, we could take a whole section as as long as we just did to talk about what the angels do, what the evils, these evil angels and Satan do toward the unsaved. But Satan and his evil angels use them in a lot of ways as well. But the main relationship to the unsaved is to try to keep them from coming to Christ and to confuse the gospel. And he's done such a great job at that. Think about that. Uh, I mean, Nit- Nitin can talk about that firsthand, right? Uh, the devil tries to confuse the gospel. And if he can just get somebody off on one little thing, that's all it takes. All it takes is to, is to, to make a whole segment of the population think that baptism is what saves you. Right? And none of them get saved because of that. Yeah, broad is the, way, yeah, broad the, is the way, way that leads to destruction. Exactly. And, and many there be that are on that road because of the confusion that's being caused, to try to keep them from coming to Christ, and he does a great job of that. All right, I want everybody, if you will, to turn over to Mark chapter 5. I'm going to talk about demonization, and I hope this won't be too long, but Mark chapter 5 gives us a great story of these different effects that demons can have. And so uh, we'll start off by talking about traits of demonization. Now, demonization is basically just someone that is marked by demon control. Um, being controlled by a demon. Alex, read, if you will, Mark 5.2. Okay, so we're told immediately that this man is possessed by a devil. He's got an unclean spirit. Verse 5 says, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. So demonization is marked by demon control. This man was not in control of his own body. And I'm going to give you a lot of different things here based on this passage that demonization is marked by, and one of them is marked by demon control. And that's, that's true of all degrees of, de- of demonization, whether it's mild, whether it's moderate, whether it's severe. In the severest cases, the, the, that degree of control is much deeper and much more domineering and much more enslaving but the number of uh, the number of demons in a severe case may be higher. It might be more than one. I mean, look at the the one that um, and, I, and I, I'm drawing a blank on the on the exact passage. But they said, "What's your name?" And what did he say? My name is Legion, right? Which means many. There's a lot of demons that were controlling this person, and so um, their their number could be higher. Their wickedness could be greater. Their strength could be more terrible. Their entrenchment in a life could be more binding. So there's lots of different levels of demonization and demon control. But the second thing is that demonization is marked by the introduction of a new personality. And you know, I'll be honest with you. I can't say that that every uh, mental disorder is demon possession. I'm not willing to go that far uh, because I know that some of that can very easily be corrected with medication and things like that. Uh, but, but think about the number of cases in this world today. Or they it's so much higher than it ever used to be. Why is that? I think it's I think it has a lot to do with demon possession. and we don't look at it that way because they're not out there running around in the streets, cutting themselves and doing all these other things. But uh, some of them are, some of them are, you know they're killing themselves and everything else. What do you think that comes from that? it's It's demonization. It's demon work in in our world. But, Demonization is marked by the introduction of a new personality. Look what he says in, in Mark chapter 2, and verse those verses that we already I'm sorry, not Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 5. Verse number 2, uh, but verse number 3. Who had his dwelling among the tombs? No man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Look at verse number 7. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now, do you think that was that man saying that? He had no idea who Jesus was. The demons did, though. And they were the ones that were speaking on this man's behalf. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, what, Here, after all that, it's right in this passage. What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And then verse number fifteen, and they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid, which just goes to show you that someone that is under demon possession has a completely different personality, someone that is not that person, someone that is completely not that person. And I think that's the main differentiating characteristic in a demonized person, in an evil spirit personality temporarily eclipses the normal personality. Um, and the new personality manifests itself in a new name. It manifests itself in in facial expressions, physical manifestations, feelings, statements that belong to that particular demon. I mean, look at look at the way this demon is answering Christ. And that's exactly what happens when someone is under the control of a demon or or multiple demons is that, it's marked by the introduction of a new personality. The third thing is that demonism is marked by superhuman strength. And we're not going to read it again because we just read it, but in verse 3 and 4 of Mark chapter 5, you can see this man, they tried to bind him with chains, and the chains weren't even doing any good. And, and I'll tell you what, too. Um, if you've ever seen somebody, and, and maybe you haven't, I, I'm not, obviously, uh, I'm not, I'm not a, a law enforcement officer, but I've been involved in a lot of these things when someone is under heavy influence of drugs. And PCP and some of these other things, if you've ever watched, uh, maybe you want to, maybe you're not, but if, if you go to YouTube and look up a video of somebody under the control of PCP, there's, there's five, six, seven guys on top of this person trying to bring them under the control, and they cannot, because that's how strong this person becomes under the influence of a demon. And a demon, demonism, is marked by superhuman strength. We have another uh, story, and you don't need to turn over there just for the sake of time, and we're going to stay here in Mark chapter 5, but in Acts chapter 19 and verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This is the seven sons of Sceba, seven of them, thought they were going to go in and cast this demon out of this guy, and they tried to do it in their own power instead of in the name of Jesus Christ, and this one man, under the influence and power of this demon, destroyed these guys and sent them out of the house, wounded, naked, I mean, just destroyed. Seven of them. Superhuman strength. Uh, in, in extreme cases of demonization, which, honestly, we don't see that that often, but uh, d- the display of strength through a demonized body is amazing because it is supernatural. It's not, it's not that, oh, this guy just all of a sudden he got this strength. It is, it is literally superhuman strength. It is not, in, and I don't mean that in like what are um, these characters that everybody has, you know, Marvel comic type strength guy. This is really, truly superhuman strength. It's not human strength. Uh, and that's, I think, the explanation of at least some of the cases of a lot of the horrible violence that we're seeing today. And, uh, you know, people going crazy, the supernatural rage, the need for padded cells and all of those kind of things. It's not because these people are just, Oh they're so strong. no they're they're possessed by a demon and these demons are just doing these things to these bodies that are uh, just not not um, not normal. Um, other physical symptoms that you see that happen in, in people are, are uh, with chronic demonization would be uh, facial body contortions, suicidal mania, extreme fear, immorality, abrupt changes in ethical values. And, and boy, I wish we had time to go through a lot of those things but that's That's exactly what happens with all of that stuff is, uh, and and I've seen a lot of different examples of these things, but uh, sometimes even demon possession takes the form of a physical illness, uh, like the cases of of the woman uh, with the spirit of infirmity, the epileptic boy that had physical symptoms um, that were due to a demon. We see that in Matthew chapter 17. You can write these passages down if you want to. Luke 13, 11 through 16 is the case of the woman with the spirit of infirmity, and in Matthew 17, verse 14 through 18 is the epileptic boy that his symptoms were due to a demon possession. And so um, sometimes, and we see this in Mark chapter 9 and verse 25, deafness. Matthew 9, 32 and 33, dumbness, unable to speak. Matthew 12, 22, blindness. They had their causes not in something that was natural, but in something that was demonic. And so demonization is marked by uh, superhuman strength. Also, number four, demonization is marked by an aversion to the things of God. Mark chapter 5 and verse number 7, and he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. I'll tell you what, if you've been watching any parts of the news or anything like that lately, and you see these people that are part of these riots and everything else, and it doesn't, it's not even on the news. I don't watch the news for the most part, but, um, you you know, I, I get... Um, I get uh, emails with with some news and things like that, and and they have clips in there a lot of times of these people that are just going crazy at some of these rallies, Uh, not rallies, uh, riots, and just, I mean, you see them, I mean, just screaming at the top of their lungs, that's demonization, that's demon possession that's taking control, and so, um, you know, it's marked by an aversion, a hatred for the things of God. The evil spirit in this passage in in Mark chapter 5 knew who Jesus was. And he, and he realized that he was the Lord of the spirit world, but his attitude was that of just deep resentment and a deep hatred for Jesus Christ, because he knew that Jesus Christ had the power that he didn't have. And so that demon, um, that demon, just uh, it, it just kind of exhibited that extreme hostility toward Jesus Christ. And uh, and and honestly, that's that is. Uh, this extreme hostility towards things of Christ and towards spirituality and all of those things all lead or or all are all common to severely demonized people and boy if if, I mean these demon possessed people are coming out in force in these riots and in these you know antifa crowds and all of this kind of stuff I mean most of you say how can somebody act that way it's demon possession and I'm not giving them a pass but it's not them it's a demon acting through them, and they're allowing themselves to be used as a host, if you will, or as a body for these demons. So we see that in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 23. Uh, the demon that troubled King Saul couldn't stand the sound of the sweet music that David was playing. Why do you think Saul threw a javelin at David? At that point, he had no reason to try to kill David, but this evil spirit that was sent to Saul hated the sweet music that David was playing on his harp. And Saul, maybe even without even realizing exactly what he was doing, had picked up his javelin and threw it at David. And I mean, the Bible says that David barely escaped with his life, barely escaped from being stuck to the wall with a javelin. Uh, but prayer in the name of Jesus, reading and claiming promises in scripture, singing hymns of praise to God are, are sure means to, to, uh, to rout and to get rid of demonic powers and, and, and really secure the release of the victim. And boy, I tell you, uh, there's, a, there's a book called Pioneer Missionary in the 20th Century, and it was about a missionary who went to Haiti in like the early, well, I say mid to late 1900s, and he told lots and lots and lots of stories of uh, demon possession and of people being freed from these demons. There's lots of different stories about that. Of course, we have a bunch of stories in the Bible of people being freed from demons, and so it can happen, but demonism is marked by an aversion to the things of God. Demonism is also marked by clairvoyance. And uh, one of the things that's very interesting, and, and, I'll, and I'll, if you don't know what clairvoyance is, I'll, I'll explain it in just a little bit. But, uh, well, let, let's look at Mark chapter 5 and verse number 6 and 7. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. It's interesting. He sees him, he runs over and worships him, and then he says, what are you doing here? Get out of here. What, what, I don't have nothing to do with you, you know? Um, but the the demon that is living inside of a person has this supernatural power, supernatural ability to discern things that are not natural, naturally discernible to the senses. Uh, and this is an interesting thing to me, but a lot of times what happens is when... Um, in in cases and brother John, I don't know if you've ever been involved in a case where this has happened, but when somebody's gone missing and they can't find a body, right. uh, they call in these these. Um, it's not called a clairvoyant. What's it called? A uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, it's a medium, but they have a they have a word that's like clair. Uh, it's a psychic, but so they use all those terms. yeah, they do use those terms, but I can't I cannot think of a. Uh, maybe it's just a clairvoyant. I don't know. I can't remember what the name of the actual term is. But they'll bring them in in an attempt to try to locate these bodies. And many times, now, they don't necessarily pinpoint the exact location, but they say things like, well, I'm seeing this body laying under some, you know, some light brush in some woods that's right near a creek and right at the base of a mountain or something like that. And many times these investigators have already been searching in a certain area that looks like that, and they'll go, and the body will be there, right. maybe not exactly in that location, but very close to it. And you think, well, I mean, why are they going to go to a psychic? Why are they going to use one of these, you know, one of these uh, uh, mediums or whatever else to try to come up with that? But uh, honestly, um, demons are are very much. Um, um, able to give knowledge and intellect and supernatural knowledge, because they're 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 part of the spirit world. They can pretty much be, they can go wherever they want to go, whenever they want to go there, and so these demons will give that knowledge uh, that's not normally naturally possessed by a victim. You don't know when that's going to, but John? They, they, as far as I'm concerned, they can know the past. They can't know the future, yes. but they can know the past. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Yes, control. it's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. And, and obviously, these demons are all working together with each other. And so that, I mean, I don't know how the word is passed, but from one person to the next, to the next, to the next, and it's given to this medium. And sometimes they're dead wrong. <laughs> I saw one, I saw one one time, um, the, the host that was interviewing this woman had a picture of a little girl. And she said, um, well, I'm going to sit down with you because uh, two weeks ago or whatever, we had we showed you this picture, and we asked you if you knew where this girl was. And you said that this girl was, was dead. And she said, yes, yes, I remember that case. Yes, I, I got the vision or whatever else. That girl was dead. And she said, this is a picture of me when I was a kid. <laughs> and this woman got a look on her face like, And you're not dead? That's what she said. And she said, I'm right here. You know, so they're not always right. They're not always right. And sometimes I think they're, you know, they're frauds that are just trying to make money because how are you going to know if they're right or not, you know? But um, anyways, I thought it was pretty funny. I've watched that that clip several times. She said, and you're not dead? (laughs) Nope, I'm right here. And the picture that you said was a girl who died was me when I was a kid. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, So demonism is marked by clairvoyance. Demonization is also subject to an instant cure. And we see that in Mark chapter 5, verse 13. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirit went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Can you imagine how many demons there must have been? That there was 2,000 swine, and they infected them, and they ran down and drowned in the sea. Um, but deliverance today, uh, the, lo- the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of the spirit world, and He has absolute power over the demons. Right. And He cast all those demons out. And it was not okay. Well, let's give you, let's uh, let's give you this medicine and see if we can work through all of these things. And let's do this and let's do that. He was he was cured instantly, and in that moment they saw him clothed and in his right mind, and they knew that there had been a change. And it was not this slow, long, gradual change. Jesus Christ made an immediate difference in this man's life. And he could evict these foul spirits with a word instantly. Um, it may take more time with his finite servants, which is what we are. Um, I'm not saying that that we have all these abilities to cast out demons, but in Jesus Christ's name, we can. I, I certainly, well, I'm telling you what, there, there are certain people, I think, that have that ability to, to interact with the spirit world. Um, in the name of Jesus Christ, and help people be delivered from demons and things like that, it scares me to death. I hope I never have to deal with somebody that's possessed by a demon that's asking for deliverance from those demons. It is, it's a scary, scary thing, and I sure hope I never have to do it, but um, in the power of Jesus Christ, victory is always certain in his name. So demonization is subject to instant cure. Demonization is marked by a phenomenon of transference. And by that, what I mean, and we see this in Mark chapter 5, we just read it, it went from this demon-possessed man into the swine. And on top of that, you think about when, I mean, demons have been around since the beginning of time, uh, since the beginning of the of, of the world when he created them, and they fell, right? And they've been working in conjunction with Satan ever since that time. Um, so obviously, they pass from one person, and that person dies, and they possess another person, and that person dies, and they possess another. Demons are not being created or born today, so they've been around since the beginning of time. And so that's what I mean by... The phenomenon of transference. Let's talk about this then and we'll be done. Can a believer be demonized or can a a believer be demon possessed? Can a believer be under the influence or control of a demonic spirit from without or within? And the answer to that is yes, but to what extent? There are three, I guess you could say three different views on demon possession for saints. First view says that some Christians um, or or some Christians assume that the potential of satanic power in the life of a regenerated person is practically none. In other words, they believe that becoming a Christian automatically shields you from satanic influence, uh, from satanic attack, from demon uh, possession or demonic invasion or any of those things. That's the first view. I'm going to give you these views first and then we're going to talk about them briefly and then we'll be done. The second view. Some Christians are convinced that satanic powers can influence and attack a saint or a Christian from without, um, but that's the extent of their power. They can never exercise total control over uh, a Christian. And to those people, the possibility of a born-again believer being invaded, if you want to use that term, by one or more demons is preposterous. They say it cannot happen. The third view that some Christians are convinced that satanic influences can not only come from without, but also from within. Um, basically, that, that grievously sinning saints yes. can uh, go beyond that old nature. Yes. Um, and, I, and I think in cases of serious, persistent, scandalous sin, such as gross immorality, participation in, uh, in the occult, right. demonism, um, and demons can exercise control over the believer for a time, until his sin is confessed and until that sin is forsaken. Right. And deliverance from the evil, the evil powers of the of that demonic influence is uh, is gained, and it's possible to happen. But let me give you some arguments against the second view, basically that 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 demons can attack from without, but never from within. And I want you to look at these verses with me. We don't have a lot of them, so just turn with me in, uh, to them, if you will. But let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Because first of all, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Um, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Now, just because the Holy Spirit dwells in the life of a believer does not mean that nothing else can at times. Um, Take the example of a person that, that lives in a house. More than one person can live in a house at the same time. Just because you own it or just because you live in it does not mean that nobody else can come into that house at the same time, right? And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 19, tells us, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God." So we know that the Holy Spirit does live within each believer, but... Why, then, are we told to be filled with the Spirit? When we're not filled with the Spirit, we're allowing room for other things. And those other things are the demons that are trying to pull us away from God. That's what we talked about that. That's one of the works of the evil angels is that they're trying to separate us from Christ. Now, they can never completely separate us from him because of what he's done for us. And once you're saved, you're always saved and all of those other things. But they can harm our relationship with him, and they can certainly influence us from within, And so the the more we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the less opportunity that we have for those demons to infect uh, or influence our lives, okay? So take the same example of a house, right? If we have a house where one person is, there's a whole lot of room for other things to come in, right? But if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, our whole house is filled with the Holy Spirit, there's not room for anything else to come in there. And so that's why we're told, I believe, to be filled with the Spirit. Demons can never take control over something that the Holy Spirit controls, but do you always allow the Holy Spirit to completely control your life? We don't. And so in those times when the Holy Spirit is not completely controlling our life, something else is. What's pushing us back toward the flesh? What's pushing us back toward all of these other things that we were saved out of? It's not the Holy Spirit. It's the influence of demons, and and those... Uh, times take place when we sin. Now, here's something else that I want you to look at. Turn to 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4. So yes, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, but we're told to be filled with the Spirit because when we're not, we allow the influence of these demons and and the work of Satan to take over in our lives and to do the work that the Holy Spirit should be doing in leading us. Now, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4, you're of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. Now, the Holy Spirit is greater, and through His power, we can disallow entrance. So it's not like, oh, a demon just came in and possessed me. I didn't know what happened. No, we allow them to enter just like we allow the Holy Spirit to enter, um, and we can disallow entrance to those other things. But that does not mean that we can never sin or that we can never grieve the Holy Spirit so much that we hand over control to something else, which would be this demonic influence. The Holy Spirit does have the power to cast out demons if the proper requirements are met, but that comes through prayer Amen. and fasting, right? So we can we can see victory, and it's not, oh, now what am I going to do? These, these demons are influencing me. But the Holy Spirit can block those things from coming in if we give him that control. Now, look over in 1 John. You're very close to that in chapter 5. In verse number 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Now, maybe you've never thought about that verse before. You probably, I mean, many of, many times we read through, and it's not like, oh, we're just reading through it fast and skimming it, but, you know, it doesn't it doesn't catch your attention. But think about that. This statement is true if the phrase before it is true, are you keeping yourself? Keeping means to guard. So he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. He guardeth himself. He protects himself. Um, Is your guard up? Is your guard on? That's why we're told to put on the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. The Bible says uh, that um, it's our responsibility to protect And to keep things from coming in, and the way that we do that is by putting on the armor of God, sword of the spirit, the word of God, the helmet of salvation, all of these other things, those things are there to help us to protect from this demonic influence coming in. Now, turn over to Colossians chapter 1. This is the last argument, if you will, against those who would say that a a saint cannot be possessed by a demon. And 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 when I say that, I, I think people shy away from that sometimes because they think that you got to be running around in the tombs cutting yourself, you know, uh, to be possessed by a demon. And that's not that's not the case. I mean, that's obviously a severe case of demonization. That's obviously someone who has been severely influenced by a whole lot of demons at one time. Um, and and sometimes it it doesn't take that. It does not take that to be demon possessed. So. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, "...who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son." Now, the Bible says that Christ hath delivered us from the power of darkness. It's true that we have been delivered from the power of Satan, but we've also been delivered from the power of sin. So, Romans chapter 6 and verse number 7 says, "...for he that is dead is freed from sin." So, does that mean that we can never fall under its power anymore? I don't think so because the Bible talks about the fact that we are going to be constantly for the rest of our life fighting against the old man, fighting against the flesh, right? It just means that we can have victory over sin because of what Jesus Christ did for us. But it doesn't mean that sin can't have victory over us sometimes as well. And what is sin? It's just that it's, it's, it's Satan's influence in our life and falling to temptations and all those things. So we can fall under the power of Satan when we indulge in those fleshly desires, but we can have victory through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us I, I wish we could take some more time to look at a few more things but i if you want to write this down this would be a great book to go and, and look at it was written by Merrill Unger and if you recognize that name he's done a ton of study on uh, lots of different topics I think in fact I think he wrote a bible encyclopedia and many other things he he lived from 1909 to 1980 so he's been dead a while Um, but the the influence of his work has been around for a while because he's he's done a lot of great work on that. But he wrote a book called What Demons Can Do to Saints. Um, And if you want to read some more about some of these things, there's some great things in that book that I think would really help you to understand it some more if you want some more to understand. But let me give you this very quickly. Safeguards from demonization. How can we keep from becoming demon-possessed? Well, number one, we have some spiritual safeguards. And just look over at James chapter 4. We're only, we're only going to be here a couple more minutes, but I want you to look at this. James chapter 4 and verse number 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. How do you How do you safeguard against demon possession? Well, first of all, you submit to God. You resist the devil. You draw nigh to God. That's how you safeguard yourself against that, but... Um, there's lots of other passages that we just don't have time to look at, but the second way is to be filled with the spirit daily. Ephesians chapter five and verse eighteen, Galatians chapter five and verse sixteen. Be filled with the Spirit. I talked about it this morning to a certain extent, but if you just if you allow the Holy Spirit every day access to your life and you give yourself over to the leading of the Holy Spirit every day, then you're putting up those safeguards that are going to keep that demon influence and Satan's influence out of your life. Renew your mind daily. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? You know that one. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. Renew your mind daily. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Well, that's a good way to safeguard. Renew your mind every single day. And then, of course, put on the whole armor of God daily. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 and 13 talks about putting on the armor of God. Those are some spiritual safeguards, but also we have some practical uh, safeguards as well. Number one, reject the current tread of demonic preoccupation. There's a lot of people who are preoccupied by demonism. And you see it happen uh, around this time of the year because we're getting close to Halloween and all of that stuff. And people just get obsessed with it, right? And, and and you know, I'll be honest with you. Um, the second thing is to reject the current trend to be preoccupied with Satan and with his demons. There's a lot of interest in Satanism right now. Right. And and, and as, as hard as it is to comprehend, the church of Satan, it's a real thing. And it's a very real thing. But the church of Satan is gaining steam, and there's more and more people that are converting to Satanism. It used to be that they were just not Christian, or they were atheists or whatever else. They're actively converting to Satanism, to the church of Satan. Uh, one man said, the occult might be fascinating, but the study of the word is more rewarding. And, and I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of people who are interested in it. Boy, magic, you know. Oh, what, what, what could you do with these spells and all of this other kind of stuff? And people start getting into it. And The more you get into it, the more fascinating it becomes. And all you're doing is opening yourself up for demon possession. It is a real thing. It is not something to mess around with, you know. You hear about these kids that, that mess around with Ouija boards and things like that, where they're trying to summon these spirits and everything else. They will come. They will come. If you're opening yourself up to it and you're asking for it, it's the same thing with, you know, I, I don't watch it, but I've seen it like in a hotel from time to time, and I don't even know what the name of it is, but these ghost shows, um, whatever, where they go in looking for ghosts, you know, and trying to pick up these whatever. You know, I think a lot of it is drama for TV, but I, but I think a lot of it is also real. If you're looking for it, and you're opening yourself up for it, you're going to feel it, and it will be there, and you'll be able to find it, and these demons will find you. So this preoccupation with with Satan and with his demons, stay away from it. Um, Number three, run from every connection with the occult. And there's a lot of ways that that happens in our world today. But demons are strongly associated with both idolatry and immorality. And the Bible says that we are to flee from both of those things 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Those things are strongly associated with demonology and demon possession. Seances, uh, Ouija boards, music with demonic lyrics, movies with demonic plots, astrology, psychics. Just to name a few of those things, they should never they should never be entertained in the life of a believer. Um, I, I can't say that I've ever even watched a horror movie. Um, but I've seen little bits and pieces, and I have no idea even where. But pff, there's nothing that makes me want to watch a, a, a horror film. But you know what? I mean, certainly I think that a lot of those people that are making those things are demon-possessed when yes. they're making them. You know, yeah, exactly. I think that guy's about as demon possessed as they come. You don't come up with that stuff without being demon possessed, right. and without without having some knowledge of the occult through firsthand experience and everything else. But some of these really, really, um, whatever I can't even think of the names of them. But paranormal type movies, you know. Um, I mean, that's that is it's a real thing. And I really I mean I know they're actors and they're doing. Cgi and whatever else. But I, I wonder how much of it is actually real. And here we are watching it on the screens. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't take much for the hair in the back of my neck to stand up. And I don't need to be scared to go out to the woods at night because I watched a movie that that had all this demon possession and everything else. I've, I mean, I've gotten to the point where I'm not afraid to go walk in the woods at night. But I'm telling you one thing, I ain't going to watch a movie and then go do it. I'll tell you that much. I was six years old when I saw the birds, Alfred Hitchcock, the birds, and I was scared to walk down to my bedroom that night, you know? And those were fake crows that, if I was watching today, are probably so weird-looking, they're not even believable, you know? Um, but it's just, stay away from it, from that stuff. There's no reason to watch it, you know? All you're doing is opening yourself up to allow some of these things to influence your life. And why do it? Why do it? We should be staying as far away from those things as we possibly can, right? Right? Um, so, lots of ways that we can protect ourselves against it. But I do believe that, de- that, that um, Christians can be possessed by demons. But I also believe that we can live in victory where we don't have to deal with those things at all. Um, I, can't, I, mean, I can't say that a demon has ever possessed me, but I've, I've certainly allowed the devil to influence me to do things from time to time. But we can have victory in the Holy Spirit. We can have victory through Christ because of what he's done for us. And we can certainly live our entire life without ever allowing a demon to possess us. Um, but it's, it's, it's Christians who know Christ, who have fallen away from him. Uh, what, what draws them away from Christ? It's not the leading of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit's living inside of you. What, what makes you go do those things, right? It's that, it's that demon influence, and when we open ourselves up to it, they'll take every advantage. So, I know we're a little long tonight, and I'm sorry about that. I, I really packed a lot of stuff in a, in a small time, and I took a whole lot of things out that I could have put in there uh, because there's just so much in the Bible that angels and demons and, and uh, you know, I, I guess they're all angels, good angels and bad angels that they do uh, in the lives of believers, in the lives of unbelievers. Um, but starting next week, I want to talk a little bit about Satan and his work, and, and a lot of that is just to help us to know how to avoid it and to stay away from it and to uh, and to not be ignorant of his devices, like the Bible tells us. Brother John.
1: Yeah. Alcohol is purely a fuel that's used by demons and Satan to control people, and that's one of the greatest reasons why you should never even entertain social drinking or even a little bit of drinking because it's just a foothold that Satan uses to control. Yeah, a, a great name for it or we've for years for alcohol is spirits. Yeah, but drugs, yeah, same thing. You use illegal drugs, but for certain drugs you're taking for pain. Yeah.
0: I believe I agree with you 100. I've I've seen way too many people that had good lives, Christians involved in church and everything else, that, that uh, got hooked on painkillers because of you know some kind of pain or surgery that they had, and next thing you know, their lives are in shambles. And they're, you know, it happens. It happens. And I and I and I agree with you um, on those things. I I think especially when it comes to drugs, when I mean, you are literally giving your mind over to the devil at that point. And that's why most of the time, same thing with alcohol, but also with drugs. People, they don't they have no idea what they did when they were, you know, drunk or when they were under the influence of drugs or anything else. And you tell them about it the next day, and they're like, I did that? I can't believe I did that. Well, that's, that's that altered personality that comes through demonization. And I don't think it's anything but that. I, believe, I agree with that 100%. And that's why you can get addicted to it and everything else. So, good. All right. Well, let's pray. And then we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the power that we have through Jesus Christ to avoid these things, and I pray that you'd help every single one of us to live in the victory that God offers us, and that that we can have through Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'd help us to try to do the best that we can to serve you, to uh, to be a witness for you, so that we can help others be delivered from the power of Satan and uh, turn them to uh, to God, like the Bible says, to deliver them from darkness and to, and to open their eyes that they may. Uh, find the same thing that we've found in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be what you need us to be, what you want us to be, what you've commanded us to be this week. And we'll thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's do the first verse. God be with you till we meet again. You can stand if you want. God be with you till we meet again. By his counsel's guide uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you, God be with you till we meet again. Till we meet, till we meet, till we meet at Jesus' feet. Till we meet, till we meet, God be with you till we meet again. Amen. You're dismissed.